0: And by the way, it is code. I didn't know this. Uh, it's code. The true love in the 12 days of Christmas does not refer to a romantic couple, but is the Catholic church code for God. And the person who receives the gifts represents someone who has accepted that. Uh, for example, the partridge in a pear tree represents Christ, and the two turtle doves are the Old and New Testaments. So, kind of interesting. So, uh, you can, I still don't like the song. But that's okay. (laughs) Also, uh, according to Facebook posts, two... I don't do Facebook. I'm just reading facts. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, But according to all the posts, two weeks before Christmas is one of the two most popular times for couples to break up. However, Christmas Day is the least favorite day for breakups. So I hope your single folks are not dealing with any of that. Um. It's also interesting that the Bolivians, uh, they have, they celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve with a, something they called Misa de Gallo. Misa de Gallo. It's called Mass of the Rooster. They believe that the rooster was the first animal to announce the birth of Christ. So when they come to Mass that evening, they all bring roosters. Can you imagine? I'm kind of glad we're not in Bolivia. Um and the other, another interesting thing, I loved. I used to go out and love to cut mistletoe. It's all over the place, if you haven't seen it. It's a fungus that grows on the trees. But um, the Anglo-Saxon word for mistletoe means little dung twig because it's, it's spread through bird droppings. So that's probably the last time I cut mistletoe. <laughs> I did not. So I didn't know that. Uh, one last thing, Craig, you'll appreciate this. Um, that the Xmas, have you seen the word Xmas? That uh, it's shortened for Christ Christmas. You know we use that, and, but the X was put in there because it's the first letter for for the word the Greek word Christ, and so it was an abbreviation. So it's really not a blasphemous thing to see Xmas out there, as long as you're intelligent about it. You know, somebody just didn't put it out there for being silly. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, one last little bit of trivia. If Santa were to make all his 12, go his 12.19 million miles uh, and had uh, two ten thousandths of a second per stop, the force of his acceleration would reduce him to chunky salsa. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, we don't know how he does it, but he does. It's amazing. So uh, one of the uh, famous characters in literature, and I love literature, um, is uh, Scrooge from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And if you haven't seen the, you know, the story itself is amazing, but Disney doesn't do it justice, the the old crotchety fella. You have to read the story. One of the things Scrooge says at the beginning, he says, Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his pudding and die with a stake of holly in his heart pretty graphic yes I know so uh, and we know that the story we could you read the story and follow it to the end uh, Scrooge changes doesn't he God and that's what Christmas is all about that there's opportunity and hope for change in the world okay so uh, let's get into the scripture now you guys I'm really not you should know me by now I'm really not the preacher I am the teacher So uh, we're going to teach God's Word, and there may be 50 points here, but I don't know what they are. (laughs) I'm going to, I know as I studied, where I kept going around when Shannon said, you have to teach about the Advent, and I'm like, the Advent? That's like the whole Bible, you know, because it started in Genesis and ends, that's the book, you know, so it's kind of narrowed it down for me, but I kept coming back to one particular area, and uh, we're here and we'll teach God's word, and hopefully you'll be blessed by it, and it'll be awesome. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 78. This is an amazing verse. You, would, you need to underline this verse if you haven't done so yet. It is an amazing piece of scripture. And who's speaking here? Well, God is, of course, but he's using Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is, is the father of John the Baptist. And that, we're going to focus on Zechariah and Elizabeth today. We're going to look at, that's, that's our couple that we're going to study today. But I want you to look at what Zechariah says when his son is born in verse 78. He says, He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. Where the sunrise from on high will break upon us. What does that mean? It means that there's, that it was very, very dark before the birth of Christ. It was a very, very dark time. And uh, it had been, if, if you know your history, it had been about 400 years since God had spoken to Israel through any prophet whatsoever. It was a very, very dark time. And if you're out, I know that uh, a few of us like to get out and hunt and stuff. And, and right before dawn, that hour before dawn, it's like the coldest, darkest most miserable moment, but if you're gonna get, get the, you know, if you're gonna get the deer, you got to be there. But that is the coldest moment, right before dawn breaks. It is dark. It is cold. It is like the loneliest moment in the whole evening. So here we go. This is the hour before the dawn. This is the moment, the darkest, coldest moment. And God has been silent for 400 years. He hasn't spoken to Israel for 400 years, but He's about to. He is about to unleash a barrage of miracles. It is, it is one of the most amazing moments in all of history. Angels are coming down from everywhere. People are at miraculous births are being born. Miracles start happening again. It is an amazing time in history. So I want to kind of give you the context of that. The world was waiting for a Savior, and it was about to be, He was about to be born. Now Israel... Oh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, when you think about one long night uh, leading up to the birth of Christ, Elie Wiesel—he was a uh, Holocaust survivor. That's what he called his book, his life story. He called it "Night," and he wrote about his his experience in Holocaust, in the Nazi death camps. And uh, but you know, Elie Wiesel endured, and it, the war came to an end, and he was liberated. And he lived to tell his story and encourage each other. And that's what we got here. There was a long night, and then dawn broke, and Jesus was born. And now we get to tell people that there's a a day coming when there won't be any more problems, won't be any more tears or suffering or sickness or pain or death. And we get to tell that message. That's pretty exciting. Okay, let's go ahead and look at some more of this history here. We're going to talk about 430 years of silence. Now, uh, where does this come from? This sunrise, this idea of sunrise. The last prophet to speak to Israel was Malachi. And in Malachi 4.4, 4, you can look it up if you want, or I can just read it to you. Malachi 4.4, 4, he says uh, that Malachi says that the sun of vindication will rise with healing in his wings. The sun of vindication or righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The Old Testament ends with the promise of light. And the New Testament begins when God breaks His silence. God breaks His silence. Have you ever felt like God is not speaking to you? That you and God, God is quiet? Like, where is God? Why isn't He coming to to tell me something? I used to, uh, I mean, I, I remember, I used to, I still get on my knees and just cry out, God, speak. I need direction. I need something. I need a voice. I need some direction in my life for this This. Whatever this is that I was going through, there's about a million things. But uh, in, inevitably, where does God point? He points me back to His Word, back to the Scriptures. Somebody will come talk to me, call me up. I'll run into a friend and they'll speak. God speaks through that friend to me, or He'll lead us to a church service on Sunday morning and He'll speak to me words of encouragement and direction. So be aware that God is not silent. He, he was silent for a long time, but He has spoken. And his word is here. And this you're not here by accident. So what is God saying to you today? Okay, the Old Testament ends the promise of light, New Testament begins when God breaks the silence. Let's read. We got a lot to read. Luke chapter 1. Skip over to we're going to talk about verse 5 here real quick. We're going to read a little while. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I'm doing the ESV. I don't know what you have. I know in our Bible life group on uh, Thursday night, it gets pretty interesting, all the versions. But uh, we're going to stop at verse 25. That's where we're going to stop. All right, so here we go. Luke's saying, In the days of Herod king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. I don't know how to say that. hope I did it right. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. It's a beautiful name. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. No wonder. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was able to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs signs to them remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Okay. I know this is not your traditional Christmas topic, but I just can't start in the middle, y'all. It's really hard for me to start in chapter two when there's chapter one. So we got to go to chapter one and study what's going on there first. So hopefully, um, you got to realize, hopefully, you realize by reading this that the birth of John the Baptist was a miraculous birth, and it was necessary because Christ was the king. And all, we all know kings need a herald. I'm going to know what a herald is, right? He's the guy that comes in, you know, da-da-da, da da He comes out and says, and now presenting the king or whatever. And that guy comes in. and he gets, he gets things ready for the king. He goes before and lets everybody know the king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. Y'all got to get ready. Get the parade out, you know. Get the confetti, dude. Get the band ready. You got to get. The king is coming. That's the herald. But John, he wasn't that nice, though. He was, a, he was, pretty, he was pretty tough. So the story of Christmas begins with John the Baptist, and John is the herald. Now, Malachi tells us that there will be a messenger before Christ. He says in chapter 3 of Malachi that a messenger will clear the way for the king. A messenger will come and clear the way. And Isaiah tells us that there will be a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Clear the way the Lord, make His path straight and smooth, and it's just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal how God timed out the birth of Jesus. Don't you ever wonder why? Then, if you, by the way, I'll tell you that there's a really, really good video called "The Star of Bethlehem." If you're into astronomy, not astrology, astronomy, it's, a, it's you can find it on YouTube. It's there. But the Star of Bethlehem gives a documentary about that phenomena in the star in the night sky when jesus was born pretty compelling pretty interesting so uh, i encourage you to watch that on your own time but the the timing of jesus birth was just amazing there was no other time in history when it could have happened the way it happened so i want to give you a little bit of background about that Um, if you know uh, shannon read a little bit last week uh, the genealogy of jesus right he read the genealogy that's in Matthew, yes. Well, did you know? And whose genealogy was that? You remember? That was Joseph's genealogy. Now, Joseph's heir, uh, Joseph was in the line of David. Okay, this is the uh, the dad. I'm, I'm chasing the rabbit here for a minute, y'all. We'll come back to John the Baptist in a minute. I kind of want you to get the context of history. So Joseph was the heir of David's throne. But but that line, David's son who was on the throne, had been cursed by God. Nobody from that line would ever sit on the throne again. So if you were born of that line of David, you were rightfully heir to the throne, but God cursed and said nobody will ever sit on the throne again. However, that was the rightful heir to the throne. So how could God justify this? Because Joseph had an adopted son. Who was his adopted son? Jesus was he in the bloodline? Was he in the curse line? No. But he was the heir to the throne? Yes. Is that amazing? Yes. That's amazing. This is there's more. There's more, okay? There's another genealogy in Luke chapter 3. Guess whose genealogy that is? That's Mary's genealogy. Who did she descend from? King David. So not only was he rightfully heir to the throne by birth through Joseph's line, by adoption, he was rightfully heir to the throne by blood. Is that amazing? That is amazing, y'all. I'm telling you. God is nowhere in, the, nowhere in history could this have happened. And the timing of the census, the back to the Bethlehem was just phenomenal. So all of this, God knows what's going to happen. Now, why do I say that to you? Because I don't know where you're at in life. There are, there are seasons for all of us. And sometimes I wonder, and I, and I wonder, what is God doing in my life? This doesn't make sense to me. This, this moment in my life doesn't make sense to me. Whether it's sickness, whether it's job, whether it's money, whether it's family, whatever the drama is, I, I wonder, why is God taking me through this particular moment? God has a plan, y'all. God has a plan. He'll work it out. We get to trust him. I used to tell my kids in the car, they'd say, where are we going? And We kind of want to surprise them sometimes. Where are we going? And I, Don't worry about it. You're with me. They can't stand that. (laughs) Don't worry about it. You're with me. Where are we going? I want to know where we're doing. We're going here, aren't we? No, don't worry about it. You're with me. And that's kind of like God with us, right? I keep, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, what does he say? Don't worry about it. You're with me. I got this. So that's what he's doing. It's pretty good. God has a plan. All things are under his providence. Now, um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about King Herod. Why? Why is this guy important to us? This guy was a bad dude. I do not like Herod. But he had to be, had to, had to be there in order for all this to happen because God appointed, allowed Octavian to appoint Herod, king of Judah, to drive out these other bad dudes so that the census could happen and Mary and Joseph could get to Bethlehem. Okay, so King Herod's there in the day of King Herod. Why does Luke point this out? Because it's historical. He doesn't want anybody to doubt these events really did happen. It's pretty important that we know that this stuff is historical. So um, Herod was a bad dude. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He uh, was prefect of Galilee before he was made the governor. And he had a very successful career dealing with terrorists. It amazes me. Terrorists have always been around. It's nothing new. Back then in Herod's day, they had these people called Sicarii, and that's these little, they call little sword, they had daggers, and they would go around, they were terrorizing the city. Well, Herod was successful in eliminating the Sicarii, So, the Roman people, you know, Octavius and all these guys, they liked that, and they made him king over the Jews, over that whole region of the Jewish nation. But, during the meantime, these guys, this, this enemy came in, they were the Parthians, and they were pretty tough. So they came in, took over the area for a little while. Herod went back, got an army, came back and took, took care of business and kicked them out. Now Herod was pretty good. Cool. He did some things. He's a brilliant man, uh, cruel and horrible, but brilliant. He built the temple. He married a Jewish princess uh, very high up in the family of Jewish uh, people. And uh, he endeared himself to the Jews, but he was cruel and, and vicious. And uh, some people said that it said actually that one of the facts about him is that uh, when he was sick and dying, he knew he was dying. He had all the nobles arrested. All the nobles uh, in the Israel city, in the city of Jerusalem, there arrested. And he ordered that when he died, all of them be killed so that somebody would at least mourn over his death. So he, that's, that's how cruel he was. He's also the one that ordered every two-year-old baby boy be killed when he found out that a king had been born in Israel. He's the guy that put that order out. When, Jesus, when he heard that Jesus had been born, there had been a king. Very jealous, very cruel, very horrible. So it was during his reign, uh, this horrible guy, that Zacharias was performing his priestly duties. Now, the word Zacharias, if you don't know, means God remembers. God remembers. Isn't that a cool name? And you want to name your kid Zacharias, right? Anyway, God remembers. He's one of 18,000 priests. One of 18,000. That's a lot of people. So uh, how is this all divided up? It's his time for service, okay? So uh, I studied this. You guys get to hear it. (laughs) Man, that took a lot of reading. So the priests of Aaron, uh, the priests were sons of Aaron. Aaron had two kids. Now, these two kids each had six, or each had 12. So there's 24 grandkids of Aaron. Well, David said, this is getting out of hand. We got to do something. So he stops, kind of, he stops that moment, and he says, okay, there's going to be 24 groups of priests. 24 groups of priests, and you guys are all going to rotate out. Because we can't have this many. There's not going to be a temple big enough to hold all you guys. So there's 24 groups, and you're going to rotate out. So one of the groups was the group of Abijah. He was the eighth son of Eliasir. And Abijah uh, had all the other kids and uh, Zacharias was one of the heirs, and he was in that group, and it was his time. So, now I say all this because, again, it's a plan. It's God's plan. Who would have thought, who can work this out at the very moment? These two weeks out of the year, just two weeks. Zachariah gets to go and serve in the temple, gets to serve and do his priestly duties. Well, what were the priestly duties? They were basically glorified butchers. All they did all day long was sacrifice lamb on the brazen altar, the lamb would come in, or the dove, and they'd sacrifice the lamb. They'd take the parts, divide them up, put them on the altar to be burned as a sacrifice to God. That's really all they did. They were covered in blood from head to toe all the, during that whole two-week period. There were sacrifices being made all the time. Okay? So, but every now and then, or every morning and evening, there was an incense offering that came about. And how was that guy chosen? Well, that guy was chosen by Lot. You just draw names. And then once you serve, once you got to carry incense in, you got to do that incense offering, then you were never able to do that again. So Zacharias has been doing this years. Remember, he's advanced in years. What does that mean? Advanced in years means at least over 60. He's over 60. He and Elizabeth both are over 60. So you get an idea of how old they are. He's been doing this for years. He's chosen by a lot to go in and do the incense, right? Now let's look at this real quick. He says, he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So I've got to skip back here because some good stuff. I don't want you to miss it. Now, what was his wife? His wife was a daughter of a priest. His wife was the daughter of a priest. So you guys, I think there's something here to be said about as your kids grow up, who, what kind of people are they looking for to be their spouse? Probably somebody they're familiar with, what kind of work their family has done. And that's sure enough what Zacharias and Elizabeth got together because they, Zacharias was a priest, family of priests. Elizabeth grew up in a family of priests. She married a priest, a grandfather, uncle. It was all, all one big happy family, right? So I don't think it's, un, uh, I tell you that because you, as you're raising your kids, need to be mindful of what kind of person your son or daughter is going to be looking for. You're probably going to be looking for someone just like you. That is scary. so uh, my daughter updated her status she's in a relationship Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is her brother was not happy about it so and I'm definitely skeptical okay all that said and done your kids are going to look for somebody just like you make sure you're being the kind of person God wants you to be okay let's talk about what they say here we'll get to the incense in just a second he had a wife of Aaron. She the daughter of her. her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth is such a beautiful name. It means God is faithful. God is faithful. Isn't that a pretty name? So um, God remembers and God is faithful. And here we go. Uh, and so both of these people, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all his commandments and statutes of the Lord. What does that mean? Guys, I'm telling you, there's nothing new under the sun, even the way of salvation. How could God account Elizabeth and Zechariah righteous? Jesus hadn't been born yet, he hadn't been crucified yet. How is that possible? We're going to get into a little deep theology here, so just hold on. It's going to get get crazy. Um, So, they were counted righteous. Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew 23 27 that. The Pharisees, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the time, most of them he considered whitewashed graves, painted graves. They were righteous according to the law, but they weren't saved. They they were following the law, but they weren't saved. They looked good on the outside, but they were stinking death on the inside. That's not Elizabeth and Zacharias. They were counted righteousness. They were justified and sanctified. God considered them. They had salvation. They had salvation. Now, um, if you if you wonder how that's possible, is there precedent for it? Yes, in Genesis 15. Remember what he said of Abraham in Genesis 15:16. He says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham too had salvation prior to the cross. Now, this is pretty amazing, Y'all, This is just, just God is amazing. Does God ignore sin? Because they, they weren't sinless. They weren't perfect. Does God ignore sin? Absolutely not. I want you to skip over to Romans for just a second. You've got to underline this verse. This is a good one. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. This is just tremendous. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 is where we're going to look. Does God ignore sin? Absolutely not. Now, he's talking. Uh, Paul's talking to us about... Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God. And he says in verse 25, now, he's talking about Jesus. Look at the previous words in verse 24. He says, "...the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, comma, verse 25, "...whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins." He had passed over former sins. Now, you got to know that people who are looking at the Jewish faith and the, and the Jewish people are saying, God's a God of righteousness. God's a God of righteousness. You know, and you're sacrificing these animals to atone for sin. You're always sacrificing animals to atone for sin. Sacrificing animals to atone for sin. Well, it's not enough. That's what the law was for, to show us that it's not enough. You can't do it. There's not enough you can do. Jesus himself said he didn't come to contradict the law. he came to fulfill it. To show us, it's not enough. You can't do it. So how did he look at all this sin? Well, for everyone who believed in him, he counted their sins to the cross. He, all their sins were pushed to the cross, were looking to the cross. All of their sins. You remember, this is Adam, and this is Eve, this is Cain, this is Abel, this is Noah, this is Shem, this is Ham, this is Joseph, and all those brothers just sold them into slavery. I love that story. It's all those Old Testament people that were doing bad things, and and believe in God for righteousness, what does God do with all that sin? It all goes to the cross. He puts it all on the cross. Does He know what's coming? Yeah, He knows what's coming. He says the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. He knew what it was going to cost Him. He knew what He was going to do with sin beforehand. So everyone who believed in Him, their sin was pushed to the cross. That's why the cross is such an amazing thing. When God puts it out there and says, See, I told you I was going to take care of sin. And he did it. See, I told you. He doesn't discount sin. It has to be atoned for. It has to be paid for. And he did it on the cross. Is that cool? That is really cool. Okay. Back to, um, back to Luke. Let's go back to John. Oh, I'm getting all caught up in uh, evangelism here. Get all excited. Okay. So, uh, all right. You get the idea in verse 6. That they're walking blamelessly and they're righteous before the Lord. But they had no child. Now, what kind of issue does that bring up? Well, it's said here that um, children are a heritage from the Lord in Psalms. And in Deuteronomy 28, that if God has cursed you, that the curse can show up in barrenness. So you can imagine that's how she's feeling. She's over 60 years old with no kids. He's over 60 years old, no kids. And this was the light of someone's life. The Jewish rabbis used to teach that you, they would excommunicate the, the Jews. If they could excommunicate somebody from the body of Christ, that they would excommunicate a Jew who had no wife or a Jew whose wife had no kids. Those are the top two on their list of people that would kick out of the church. Can you imagine? So you, can, you know how they're feeling. My question is, my amazement is, why didn't they stop doing what they were doing? Why didn't they stop walking in the commandments? I, I feel, don't you feel, sometimes, I, I mean, I know there's two or three moments in my life where I felt like God was picking on me. You know, I was like, okay, God, I got it. Enough is enough. You know, but it didn't stop. But is that, is that a reason for me to stop living like a Christian? I had a friend of mine he was a pastor and his son uh, had a good friend and really good kid was killed by a drunk driver well at that moment my friend abandoned the faith he just totally walked away from god and and i told him that just because something bad happens to you doesn't give you the right to judge god that's a blasphemous event you don't get to judge god period you think god was feeling that way when they put his son on a cross you don't get to judge God. You don't do that. You forgive yourself and you move on. You, you trust God. He's got a plan. You trust God, okay? So that's a, that's, if that was a point, that would be one. <laughs> so trust God. You don't get to judge God, all right? Let's go here. Um, Justified, sanctified, righteous before the Lord and about the children. No children, but they were faithfully serving God. They did not give up. This was not divine punishment. This was divine planning. Not divine punishment, but divine planning. They only had one son. What kind of son was he? What did Jesus say about John the Baptist? Remember? Of of those born among women, he was the greatest of them all. He was the greatest of them all. That's crazy, y'all. Talk Noah, Joseph, Abraham, David. He was greater than all of those guys. He's greater than all of them, John the Baptist. They had one son. Who was he? The greatest man to ever walk, other than Jesus Christ. That's amazing, y'all. One son. If you had one kid, wouldn't you want him to be great? That'd be pretty good stuff. Okay. There's more here. Let's look at it. We're in verse 7. It says, but they had no child. We're in verse 8 now. He says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, now. Serving boy, he could have been 80 years old, folks. Commentators I read, 60 to 80 years old. I have sad news. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. You don't get to retire from being a Christian. That's bottom line. You get to do it your whole life. It's awesome. You shouldn't want to retire from being a Christian. You always got to serve God. Now, hopefully you get to quit working because you have to work one day. You can start working for the Lord. But that doesn't mean you give up. You continue serving God where he plants you, where he tells you to go until he says different. You keep doing what God tells you to do until he says different. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Y'all remember that? uh, I I don't know if this is a good thing to bring up at Christmas time or not. But one of the best movies I ever saw was that Axel Ridge, right? And that guy on top of that ridge, if y'all ever see that, it's not for kids. But that guy up there... uh, Pulling those people off out of that battlefield. Just one more. What did he pull 70 something people down in one night? Amazing. There's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. There is no retirement with God. You don't get to quit because you're tired. You don't get to quit because you're hurting. You don't get to quit because you're hungry and thirsty. If God's giving you the strength to do something, you have to do it. That's period. That's bottom line. If he's pointed you a member of this church, you come and you serve. That's what he's telling you to do. Bottom line, pretty easy, right? Okay, I'm just just teaching the word, y'all. Don't get upset. I'm just the messenger. Okay, here we go. Uh, We're going to get into some more good stuff here. Verse 8, he was serving as priest before God, and it was his time, according to the custom of the priesthood. He was chosen to go into the temple and burn incense. Now, what was this all about? This was a one-time deal, and not everybody got to do it. So the altar, they're slaughtering the lambs covered with blood head to toe, right? They're putting the parts of the lambs on the altar. The altar's being burned. The priest, at this time, in the morning and the evening, the incense offering went up. So he, the guy that was chosen went and got coals from the altar, the burning altar, the brazen altar. Coals, a bucket or a golden bucket full of coals with some utensils. And he'd go into the, into the temple. So there's four parts to the temple. There's an outer court, there's an inner court, and then there's the temple. And then the last part, the fourth part, is the Holy of Holies, where the Bemis seat was at. So he's on the outside where the lambs are being slaughtered at the brazen altar. He takes the coals, he gets to go in. Now his job when he goes in is to take the coals and he puts them on the altar, inside, on the, in, inside where the altar is. And he puts the coals out there and he, pray, he sprinkles incense on it. And then smoke rises up out of the temple, symbolic of the prayers of the people that are, who are praying outside, Going up to God, it's just symbolic. It's all symbolism, symbolic of the prayers of God, of the people, God's people being lifted up. That's what He's doing. Okay, so it shouldn't take very long. It's it's a quick thing. It's that, spread the cold. do the incense. That's it. Okay, but not not this time. Zechariah's in there, and look what happens. This is amazing. He goes in there to burn incense. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So there's nothing symbolic about the right side of the altar of the incense that I could find. It's just that's where he, some people say that, that Luke pointed it out because he wanted to make sure it wasn't just it wasn't just a, a possible illusion. He was absolutely sure. No, I saw him and he was standing right here. That's where I saw him. So it's just a uh, gives authority to the testimony of Zechariah. Okay. So the angel appears to him, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about angels. Some of these folks in this world, in in the world we live in, today in 2017, claim to have these moments with angels, and they're like talking with conversations and stuff. No, that doesn't happen. So when people see angels, it is a terrifying experience. And it's, and it's a one-way conversation. The last time Gabriel appeared in the new, in, to the people of God was when he appeared to Daniel. And he gave Daniel the prophecy about the end of the world. So that's, Gabriel is the messenger of God. And he's sent out by God to deliver very crucial things, to deliver very important messages. And he sends Gabriel down. Now, God is, this incense, this sacrificing, this temple service has been going on and on and on. And Gabriel gets sent by God. you got to go now. It's the right time. Go tell Zacharias this is going to happen. And yet, I just can't imagine what it's like in heaven. I know that Daniel tells us that um, when Gabriel was sent to Daniel, that he was detained by a demon. And that Michael had to be sent to free him. And you can't, I just, you know, this is death present darkness by Frankie Peretti all over again. Like war going all around with demons and angels. I don't know but it just blows my mind how God is actively involved in our lives. And there are thousands of angels doing God's business. Now, they're not everywhere, so they have to travel. So Gabriel sent, and he's sent to deliver the message. And I would be afraid, too. Everybody that's ever encountered an angel is very afraid. But the angel says to him, don't be afraid, because your prayer has been heard. What prayer? What prayer is that? Now, guys... This is important. This, if there is a point, this would, be, this would be a good point to make. Don't quit praying. What do you think Zacharias and Elizabeth have been praying for? They've been praying for a son. They've been praying for kids. All these years, they've been praying for kids. All these years. Now, like you can imagine. This is Abraham and Sarah, right? This is Zacharias and Elizabeth. They've been praying all these years. Did they quit? Absolutely not. They continue to pray that God will bless them with children. And here it is, at this moment and this time, God's going to do a miracle. So, the prayer has been heard. Does God hear our prayers? Absolutely, He does. Stay faithful. Don't give up. Keep doing what God's telling you to do. Keep sending your petition to God. The word there for uh, has heard your prayer could be also interpreted as petition. It's a long-standing, often-asked request of God. Now, what's going to happen he says, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. One of the things about John, now some people think he, had, he took a Nazarite vow because he couldn't drink wine or strong drink, but there's no indication he actually did take a Nazarite vow. But he will be, be filled from, with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn hearts of the children to God. So, um, and he tells us that he's going to name him, you know, he's supposed to be named John. So, um, John, what does John mean? It means God is gracious, okay? That's pretty good. So there's some some things here about John. The biggest thing that comes out of this is that this gets into, there's there's some teaching here. It's a whole other lesson, y'all, about predestination. I don't even... No, God, God knew things before they happen. Do we have free will? Do we get to choose our, the things we do in our life? Yes. But is there, has God predestined us before time? Yes. I don't know how that works. I'm sorry, y'all. That's beyond me. The Trinity, how can three things be one God? I don't know. There are some things that are beyond my comprehension. But you get the idea. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even in the, the mother's womb. From the very moment, now, if you read on further down, we're, I'm not going to get to it today, but towards the end of this chapter, when he, she goes and sees, when Mary comes sees her, and Mary says something to Elizabeth, and, and the baby leaps for joy in the mother's womb, that's John the Baptist leaping because he knows that's the mother of Jesus. And he's getting all excited about that. Y'all, this is biblical evidence that it is not just a thing in your womb it is a person it is not just a fetus it is a baby it is a life don't let people tell you that it's not a life it is a life in the mother's womb it's not something we have the right to take God gets to do that not us okay so that's another little side note all right that's not a little side note it's a big one it's important okay okay there's more here y'all what is the, how, does, how does Zacharias respond? So he says, how do I know this? He goes, what? He doubts. He doubts. And the guy says, are you crazy? I'm Gabriel. <laughs> Gabriel means mighty one of God. I don't know that I'd be questioning an angel that's called the mighty one of God. That Gabor, Gabriel is two words, Gabor, which means warrior or mighty one, and El, God, the mighty one of God. I don't know that I would question that. It's pretty bold. John questions Gabriel. How do I know? He says, you are absolutely off your rocker. He says, you've been doing incense too long. He says, uh, so he says, you're going to be silent. You won't be able to tell anybody about this event. How nuts would that make you? We just watched, uh, we are watching the show, This Is Us. I don't know if it's a good show or not, but it's got some good moments in it. This, and that one guy gets all excited because his fiance going to have the baby. And he goes into the Starbucks, you know, and he goes nuts. He's pouring water on us. He's jumping all over the place. He is really excited because they're going to have a baby. But Zacharias can't do that. He is absolutely forbidden to speak. Can't can't talk to anybody. Pretty, uh, Pretty tough. Don't doubt God. When God tells us, it's hard not to doubt him. It's hard not to doubt God. It's hard not to trust him. I mean, it's hard to trust God sometimes in a difficult moment. But you got to. He says, trust God. Don't have a spirit of fear. The Lord's Prayer, you know, it says, uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He goes, and David says in the 23rd Psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The spirit, the Christian life is not one of fear. It is not one of doubt. It's one of trust. It's absolutely one of trust. We have to trust God when He comes to us and tells us these things. No matter what He's telling you, I don't know what He's telling you, but you know, there are some things that are common for all of us. Pray, tell others about Jesus, go to church, you know, love your husbands, love your wives, Christ, love your husband. It's pretty easy, right? When I think of, so when I think of Advent, I'm thinking like the Bible, this is it. This is church, this is what being a Christian is. Trust God, do what he tells you to do, don't doubt. Okay, now why is this son going to bring joy to the family? Because he's going to convert people to Jesus. He's going to open them back, he's going to turn them back from their wicked ways And he's going to point them to Jesus. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, um, that's what we have to do. I know the Bible tells us, he says, be imitators of Christ and live a life of love just as Christ loved us. But I I think if there was somebody in the New Testament that we could emulate, it would be John the Baptist. This guy was amazing. He, He didn't care much about the joy and pleasure of the world. He didn't for its food or its fashion. He wore a coat made of camel's hair. He ate locusts with honey. He lived in the wilderness. He separated himself out completely from the world. And he was proclaiming the gospel with boldness. Repent. And he called those Pharisees, you vipers, you brood of vipers, you sinners, turn from your ways and repent. It's kind of like sinners in the hands of angry God, but 2,000 years ago. So uh, I think John the Baptist has had a message and he turned people back. He was indifferent to the pleasures of the world. And that's a model that we can, we can emulate. Okay, I want to get to one or two other things here real quick. Let's skip down to verse 39 in chapter 1, verse 39. Okay, here's the moment when Mary is uh, being visited by... Mary visits Elizabeth. Now, why does Elizabeth hide for five months I mean, she's 67 years old. Do you think she's going to go out and start telling people she's pregnant? But the, the evidence is physical, yes? About five months is probably when you're, start, when you're going to start showing. Pretty, it's, not, it's no doubt. So she's not going to tell anybody, but she keeps herself hidden until she knows for sure it really is happening. Kind of wonder if she's not doubting as well. So she goes and visits. Mary comes and visits her and the baby leaps with joy in her womb. That goes down, and uh, he says, uh, Those days Mary went, arose and went to the hill country, to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And of course we know who that was. That was Jesus. Alright, there's more. Go to Verse 57, Mary sings, Mary uh, exalts. This is a great prayer of praise from Mary. Mary's not our focus today, although uh, she's definitely worth studying. Uh, I want to look at that another time. All right, look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he'll be called John. And they said to her, Nobody in your family is called this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote, John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke, Blessing God. First thing out of his mouth, he blesses God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That's, that's the message of Christmas, y'all. People need to be talking about Jesus, and we need to be pointing them to Jesus. It's an amazing story. John the, the Baptist's birth was a miracle. And when he was born, Zechariah praised God. And when Jesus is born, when he was born, we praise God, we sing songs of praise. The, the Bible tells us that angels, we have heard on high, right? Singing over the... Everybody who came to the manger, what did they do? They worshipped. And then they went and told others. They worshipped at the foot of the baby and they went and told others. That's the message. That's what John the Baptist did. That's what we need to do. Let's go tell others. Okay. There's... I could give you some more. But I, I think we're going to try to wrap this thing up. If, uh, if you go and if you follow Scrooge, and we're going back to the Christmas carol, right? We're going to circle back. <sighs> I'm not going to tell you anything horrible about Scrooge. But he, he was confronted by um, his former boss, Bob Marley, the ghost, when Marley came to visit him. And Marley, he says to Marley, he says, you are fettered. How did this happen? Fettered means chained. And Marley says, I forged this chain with my life, link by link. Yard by yard. And I wear it of my own free will. That's what the world is doing to itself. They're forging a chain of bondage to materialism. Bondage to sin. Lust. Money. Power. Work. It's chain, they're chains. And we're, we're wrapping ourselves up with chains. And they're, they're burdening us down. And we're dragging these chains all over the place. And it is not fun. It is not fun to be dragging a chain. Guys. Jesus came to get rid of those chains. He came to cast all those chains off. You don't have to carry your sin around anymore. Jesus took care of that at the cross. You don't have to carry your lack of trust, your worry, your doubt around anymore. He can take that chain off of you. Don't carry your chains around anymore. Let Jesus take them off of you. When Scrooge ends the story, he says, I will carry, I will honor Christmas in my heart and I will keep it all year long. This trust, this excitement, this joy over the message of Jesus should go with us all the time. Not just once a year. Not just once a year. That's it. Is that, that's good. Let's pray. Okay. Oh God, it's just overwhelming and humbling to um, study your word and the things that happened so long ago. And how they speak to us even today in the midst of our struggles and trials and tribulations. Father, I pray that um, during this Christmas season, um, that we would not put chains on ourselves, that we would not burden ourselves with anxiety, with uh, debt, with um, drama from who's going where and who's doing what and what kind of parties or who's being invited to this one or that one, but Father, we keep our eyes on the main thing, and we keep our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that uh, each person here who has been called by your name and who, if you have saved from their sin, that you would compel them to spread the good news, to not let the moment pass when they can share the joy of Jesus and the message of hope with someone else. By this time of year, so many people are looking for hope. And I pray that we can share it with them. We can share that light. We can be like John the Baptist and turn people away from their sin and back to you. Thank you, God, for the testimony. Thank you, Lord, for the word. I pray you help us apply it to our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name.